Over 1,000 times in the Old Testament, God said, God said, God said. Over 1,000 times, he said. In fact, in creation for six days, God spoke everything into existence. Isn't that powerful? God spoke everything into existence. But you know what? When he got to us, he didn't speak. He breathed. And so when he created man, he just got a little clay together and breathed. And man became a living soul. So that, that's why I was saying my worship, as long as I am breathing, because my breath came from him. What I'm breathing, so as I breathe in, I breathe in his spirit. As I breathe out, I breathe out his praise. So let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Come on, give him back his breath. Give him back his breath for a few minutes. Come on, just give him back his breath. Give him back his breath. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In order to sit up where I'm going, I've got to take you on a scriptural shower so you can get the point. Is that okay? Let me make a first point before I, I start is that, and let me tell you, that your life has an expiration date. Apostle Wendell, everything in creation has an expiration date. That's, that's the purpose. How, how do we get there? Let's start at, at um, Genesis 1.14. Let me start at Genesis 1.14. I, I got to take you on a small journey. Is that Okay. All right, you, you, you follow me because when I get through, you can better understand where I'm going. I, I, I guess I got to show you a little scripture context first so you can understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Thank God for all of you out there, too, in our um, audience who are online. We've been having a time here. Yesterday, three of us spoke as the voice of the fathers and Pastor Walter Barber, Barbara was here and Bishop Andy Luder, who spoke to us so wonderfully on Friday night and shared on a panel with the three of us. What, what I saw yesterday, and I just want to mention this as we turn into Genesis 1.14, is that if we can get back to the point that we don't become so sectarian in what we're doing, everybody's in their own space. But you know, the, the, the synergy of the three men who were together yesterday, we just flowed with each other. And, and it's that nobody was trying to be a big guy and little you. We just shared the word together. We got to get to more of that. Get to more of that. And everybody getting in that corner and trying to be bigger than somebody else. It's just, it's just not where it is. Genesis 1.14 says this, and God said, let there be lights. I'm reading again out of, I'm going to read all my texts out of the New English Translation. I, I know I usually use the NIV, but I'm using the New English Translation uh, a lot more these days. So um, just follow me. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs to indicate seasons and days and years. By the way, as he made these lights 
on the fourth day of creation. This was to indicate times, look at what it says. It was to indicate seasons, days, and years. Ecclesiastes chapter three, you ought to know that one by heart. In verse one, Ecclesiastes chapter three, filled up in worship. Man, you know me, I'm not only just a scholar, I'm a worshiper. And, you know, I mean, my eyes get watery. And that's, that's one of my favorite uh, worship songs, you know. I, I, I love that song, as long as I'm breathing. So I will always, I will not be silent. <laughs> my wife and I know we played it around the house a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's why when you hit that, I was ready to jump. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, here's my worship, all of my worship. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, for everything, there's an appointed time and an appropriate time for every activity on the earth. Are you getting something? Uh, is, you see where something is building? Something is happening. There is, God set the solar bodies in space, here's what God did. God stepped out of eternity and decided to make time so that things would happen at a set time. You see that? So in clear, it says, for everything, there's an appointed time, an appropriate time for every activity on earth. So stop worrying about the coronavirus. It's only for a set time. Everything has a beginning and it has a Galatians 4 and 4. Galatians chapter 4. I'll make y'all scholars before we over with. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. This is what you call putting scriptures together. Precept upon precept, line upon line. That's what you got to do first. You got to put those things together first. Then you can then you can bring your argument. So I, what I'm doing is building a foundation for you. Okay, is that okay? Galatians 4 and 4. And when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When what? The appropriate time. He didn't come no sooner. He didn't come no later than God had designed it to happen. Just in case you think that's just about Jesus, turn to Acts 17, 26. Oh, I'm, I'm getting you there. Am I okay? No, y'all with me? I might have to come back to Galatians in a minute, but Acts 17, 26. Acts 17, 26. We'll read a few of these. From one man, he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining, look at this, watch this, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live. From one man, Adam, God made all people of the human race. And he decided where they would inhabit the earth and their set time that they would be born 
and that they would die. God had already planned your mommy, your daddy, your grandparents, your children. God knew the set time that each of them were going to come. It was all, it was not an accident. Tell somebody I'm not an accident. God even determined where you're going to live. Some people think they've been environmentally retarded because they grew up in an environment that wasn't conducive to really what they wanted. God knew what he was doing. The next verse explains you the reason. Look at verse 27. So that you would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. God designed your circumstances so that eventually you would find him. Everything you've been through and what you've gone through was for a reason. God was getting you somewhere. Might look like you were going to die. You ain't going to die. Might look like things were messed up. It was because he's maturing you. May look like you had a whole lot of failures, but out of those failures is going to come a testimony. Well, let me let me get, get you want some more? Can I can I get have I made my point? Well, I, I'm gonna make my point again. Acts 2 22. Acts chapter 2. Maybe you need to write these scriptures down. Because one thing, we missed it. We want to get to Acts 2 and 1 about the five from heaven, tongues coming and all that. That happened when Moses, Lance, that happened when Moses got the law. Same thing happened. The fire fell, the pillars, all that stuff fell when Moses gave the law. But what does that have to do with anything? You know, it was it, it was an announcement. It was a sign. You know, signs last week, baby. I was talking about. You, when you get signs, let me let me explain to you. I explained to another group last week. Let me let me explain to you. When when you see a stop sign, what does the stop sign tell you? Do you go in the sign, or do you do what it tells you to do? But, the, but what you saw told you your action. We make doctrines out of signs. When in essence, the sign is supposed to define your action. So in Acts 2 and 1, what we see is a sign. There was a great noise, thunder and lightning and Tongues like fire sit on each of them. Why? No, you weren't. Well, that's what we need to do. We need to get the sign. Get the sign. But the signs only define the action. You don't carry a stop sign around all day. You just know when you see a stop sign, it means. For those of you drivers, we got three lights to indicate how to drive properly, right? Red, yellow, and green. Now, when you see the green light, it means, when you see the red light, it means, and yellow means what? It, it means caution. But some of you like, yellow means hurry up. <laughs> the 
The real issue was verse 22 to verse 36. I'm not going to read all of those verses, but I want to read verse 22 because it's so important because here is the real issue for the signs. Everything that went on before was a sign, and they were assuming something else. In fact, they saw them running around, carrying on, they speaking in languages that they hadn't learned. And everybody was perceiving. Now, scholars have two points on the tongues that were presented next to. One is that they were heavenly tongues. And if they were heavenly tongues, the problem with that is that all of the nationalities there heard them speak in their own language. So then the scholars said, well, were they actually speaking in the language of the people that heard it? Or did the people hear it? hear what they heard in their own tongue. Let's not be so technical. All we know is that they spoke and they heard them in their own language. Who cares how it was done? You know what? A miracle is not a miracle if you can explain it. The purpose of a miracle is that it is an unexplained reality. Something happened that I have no context to explain. It is unscientific. So, so wait a minute. Verse 22, look at what, look at what uh, Peter says. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man clearly attests to you by God with powerful words, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Look at this. Watch this, verse 23. This man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross in the hands of the Gentiles. Everything that happened was already pre-planned. It did, this just didn't pop up and happen all of a sudden and you took a man to the cross and you thought you had done something when you put it in every language on there. This man is the king of the Jews in Arabic and in Greek and in Hebrew. You put it on there so everybody you know the king of the Jews has been crucified. You missed the whole thing. Because in verse 24, he tells you why. But God raised him up having released him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be holden by death. Now, let me say something I started to do yesterday. It is, it is Hebrews 2.14. I'm not going to turn there. I just want you to write it down. But it said, it, it says, Luke 13, that he came to destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil, who for all our lifetime kept us in fear. Jesus came to destroy the person who had the power of death. Now, the word destroy in the context of Hebrews 2 does not mean to obliviate. It just simply means, Archbishop, to reduce to a zero. So he made the devil have no value. You are now a zero. Are you still around, but you have no numerical value because right now you are a zero. You can't add, you can't subtract, you can't multiply because you ain't nothing but a zero. 
So you, you all want to destroy something completely obliviated. And Lord said, no, I'm just going to make it a zero. He can walk around woofing and talking, but he ain't got nothing. I learned when I was in my travels in Africa, and you see me this dashiki on, it was a gift, uh, thank God. I have a couple more African friends keep telling me they're going to send me dashikis. I, I hope they see this because I got one on now. <laughs> <laughs> it was a gift. But when I, on my trips back in the 70s in Africa, you know, I had a chance of going, believe it or not, in my younger days, a few safaris. And I remember, you remember, uh, Peter says the devil walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, my safari trips, I used to always wonder, one of the guys told me one time, we used to hear the lions roaring and everything, and I see, saw the guys getting ready to run to him. I said, man, wait a minute, don't you hear that lion roaring? He said, yes, yes, sir, we hear him. That's why we running over there to him. I said, why? He says, well, sir, there are only two times the lion roars. I said, when? He says, one, when he's got you trapped. The other is when he's trapped. And at this time, we got him trapped. Oh, you don't get it. <laughs> Maybe you'll wake up later and understand that the devil's been roaring in your life for a long time, but he roared because he trapped. Because you overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. How many of you is overcoming? God has raised you up. You done been through some stuff, but you still ain't done. You still got the victory. You done been through a few things. The devil's still wolfing and talking about it. Stop talking about that. I already overcame it by the blood of the Lamb. And I got a testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Now, according to the clock, I only got about 40 minutes left, so let me get to the text for the day. All right, I just wanted to give you, that's the, that's the uh, prelogue. All of what I gave you was the prelogue. So turn to Matthew 23. This is the text, the text for the day. No, no. If that was a prelogue, was that, is that okay? Am I Archbishop? As long as he, he's in charge, so I got to obey him. If he told me it's time to sit down, uh, Ellen Nichols, I got to sit down because he's in charge. So if I can't go any further, y'all have to get Archbishop over there. He's the one who did it. <laughs> All I want to know, am I making sense? Uh, uh, Mr. Fraser, am I okay? All right. Just, just want to make sure I ain't, I ain't going off nowhere because Jesus wanted to. Now, I, where I wanted to go today, I wanted to take you to verse 9 and 10. Matthew 23, verse 9 and 10. And then we go back because here, here's, here's the issue. Here, you know, sometimes we get these scriptures and, and I get a kick. Archbishop Slade said, I should do something on correcting all these crazy scriptures that everybody used and used the wrong way. This is one of them. See, see um, um, we, we call them sacred cows. They're killing the sacred cows. You know, here we go. In Matthew 23, Jesus gives the Pharisees seven woes. There are seven woes, and, and woes, these are, these are cautious. He's rebuking them because, and, and I want to share this, that when a father chastises you, he's only trying to make you better, not to demean you. And so it's important that you understand the rebuke of your father. 
as opposed to a rebuke of someone just criticizing you. Because in a relationship, it's much different. I'm, I'm giving you some principles, but, but verse 9 and 10. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Verse 10, nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. Now, if you just read that, Brother Lance, you've been running around saying, don't be calling nobody for you see the Bible said, Bible got a verse that don't call nobody for that's That's what you call pulling something out of context. Because you just pulled a verse out of context and tried to use it. I got a verse that said, don't call nobody father. See that? Now, now, you haven't slowed up enough to get the context. This was the danger of people reading scripture without having proper hermeneutical instruction. Because they pull pop goes the weasel out of the Bible and use it and say the Bible said it. It did say it, but they didn't say it like you used it. I'm going to let Jesus exegete the text instead of me, okay? He did it. If you go back to verse 1. Baby, you know, I always teach you got to read the verses before and the verses after and what does it say in the context. Y'all heard me my teaching long enough, you know, hermeneutically. That's the way I, I teach you guys. You can't just pull that verse and shoot it out. What was the context? Let's go back to verse one and get the context. Can you sit with me? Somebody cut off my clock. Don't be doing that to me. See, I caught you. Oh, they ain't cut off my clock. I'm trying to time myself. And they, and they up there. I look back. All right, all right, TJ, I'm watching you. <laughs> I got my eye on you. <laughs> Verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the experts in the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, let me explain to you about Moses' seat. It was a proverbial seat that went back to the wilderness when Moses was in the wilderness. And they, they would get a stone like Moses did in the wilderness when, when Jethro, his father-in-law, tried to give him advice on trying to lessen the people's problems from early in the morning to late at night. And he was weighing himself out. And Jethro looked at that and said, look, why don't you put people in companies, companies of a thousands or hundreds and fifties and let people, other people deal with this stuff. You ain't got to handle everything. That's why the pastor keep trying to have some help. And you keep like, well, my bishop can't come to my house. I want to say why bishop can't do that. I want to say bishop won't do that. He'll weigh himself out. Even, even the apostles in Acts 6, when they first started the church, they were wondering about the distribution of the food and all of that. And Peter said, pick seven men. And we're going to give ourselves over to prayer and the study of the word. Y'all, we got to run your house two o'clock in the morning. I'm going to study the word. Trying to deal with me, he's trying to get ready to give his message, trying to get in. You got all we got news pass up to him. Somebody got to tell him something. Leave him alone. He's trying to talk to the father. So he tells me, look, he's he's commending them. He's talking to the experts of the law and the Pharisees. You sit on the seat of Moses, because they sit this proverbial seat up and say, This is what Moses did. So we're gonna be your instructors. We're gonna tell y'all how to live. We're going to tell y'all what's right and what's wrong about the scripture. All right, look at the next verse. Verse 2. Therefore, pay attention to what they tell you and do it. But do not do what they do. 
for they do not practice what they teach. The Lord slapped me with this a few months ago when a dear friend of mine passed and I really didn't understand how his ministry could go like that. And I was really trying to decide on getting rid of some MP3s I had of his and some MP4s because I found out he wasn't living what he was teaching. It messed me up. But what he was teaching was truth. He just happened to not live what he teach. So why should I get rid of the truth just because he didn't live it? That's what Jesus is saying. You, did you see what Jesus just said? Therefore, pay attention to what they tell you and do it. They are telling you right. There are a lot of people. Now, now I want to I liberate you because there's a lot of people now who've been falling around the country. Preachers have been falling. But if you look back, some of what they've been teaching have been helping you, strengthening you, and doing forms that Jesus said, look, pay attention to what they tell you and do it. They are teaching the law. What they're telling you is right. But now, here we go. It's, the church developed two things in terms of orthy. Orthodoxy means correct doctrine. Orthopraxy means correct practice. We've got to pull together orthodoxy and orthopraxy. But Jesus said there's a, there's a certain thing going on here. They, they, you got to pay attention to what they tell you and do it. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they teach. And there are folks that are ready to leave the church because somebody's not doing what they teach. You're supposed to be saved by the word, not by somebody's behavior. Now that right there ought to save at least two people. I switch the page. I, I'm gonna read the rest of it because it's it's important. It's so important. Can can I finish the rest of it? Look, look what he says. They tie up heavy loads, hard to carry, and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing even to lift a finger to move it. See, in other words, when they get through teaching. They got all this tradition and stuff that ain't in the scriptures that they trying to get you to do that they don't even do. No, you never read all this, did you? you, you read the, all you did is reach down there and look at verse 9 and 10. Call them in father. I'm getting down to it. But look at what he's saying. Verse 5. They do all these deeds to be seen by people. For they make their phylacteries wide and their tassels long. They're talking about this. Can I borrow your shawl there for a minute? Because this is what he, he's talking about. Jesus talking about the phylactery on the end of a shawl. They would make them real long so they go all the way down their feet. Because the longer they made them meant that they were more expert as a teacher. So the more longer the phylacteries were, the more expert they were. 
so you had teachers who would have longer phylacteries than others just to walk around seeing these somebody. You know, I got five PhDs and three DDs and three THDs and ain't living worth two cents. Now, ain't nothing wrong with getting educated. The problem is how you use your education. They love the place of honor, verse six, at banquets and the best seats in the synagogue. Don't you not, not forget who they are? No, I, I, mean, I think I told you all this story before. I met a guy running New York and uh, I was going to attack these once. I recognized him and I said, hey man, how you doing? Uh, next time you see me, address me properly. I'm a bishop. Excuse me. <laughs> People so want to be exalted. See, we were created to worship, not to be worshiped. Can I say that again? We were created to worship, not to be worshiped. Every leader needs to learn that lesson. I know they, uh, and, and there's a difference between honor and worship. Now we're supposed to honor those. Now don't don't get don't get it confused. Don't mix up honor with worship. I'm not talking about not honor and recognizing people who deserve honor. They deserve honor. We're supposed to honor them and respect them with honor, but don't honor them so much that they become your life, health, and strength, and your mercy, and the sunrise and fall on them. That's worship. That only goes to God. Because in him I live and move and have my being. I respect you as the vessel of God. But all my help. Oh, let me stop. I'll be preaching in a minute. Where TJ at? Oh, okay. All right. Oh, no, no. I'm, I want TJ over because, you know, I, I, when I get filled up, he, he know where I'm going. <laughs> so, he got me. You got me, right? He got me. I said, I'll get filled up. He can help me come in. So they do all this for they make their phylacteries wide and their tassels long. Listen, they love the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogue and elaborate greetings in the marketplace to have people call them rabbi. It's one thing to call me a rabbi. It's another thing to demand that you call me a rabbi. So he says to them, and, and you understand the language in, in verses eight, nine, and 10. Let me tell you now, in English, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, um, an idea for this in grammatical context that I don't explain to you in the Greek, I explain to you in English, but it's called hyperbore. It means to exaggerate to make a truth. So now Jesus is getting ready to exaggerate a point. He's exaggerating the point. So what he does, he said, you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and call no one your father. He's talking to the Pharisees on earth 
for you have one father. He's, he's exaggerating. He's telling you not to call nobody teacher or don't call nobody father because you let it go to your head. You can't handle it. People trying to honor you and you get so all caught up in your honor that you, yeah, yeah, I guess I do deserve that. Give me some more. Give me some more. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You, you aren't me uh, a possible. Go get five other possibles in. So let me see what y'all doing. Man, I was in, I was in a ministry once. A big name preacher came in. This guy really thought he was doing something for him. I mean, he. It was a place was packed. It was a huge service, and it was packed. It had to be close to, I would say, maybe about twenty, twenty-five thousand people there. And the guy gave the, the guy this huge big ministry and offering. He gave him 50 grand. And the guy gave it back to him. He says, this is peanuts. Take it back. This is not an offering. You see what I'm saying? Who do you think you are? Who told you you could merchandise your anointing? You don't deserve nothing anyway. We don't go on overboard in this country with, with, with offerings and honorariums and, and honoring someone. And I, we were telling somebody, I was telling some people at, at lunch the other day that we, we went somewhere and, and, and we were in this person's city and they wanted a limousine and a suite. And and wanted this huge offering. Wanted us to go to their house, take them to the airport to a suite, and then have a limousine for them to come to church in a suite in the limousine, and another limousine for all of their products they wanted to sell. And lastly, upon that, they wanted to have their person go back in the room where the offering was to count. Where are these people coming from? Jesus said, this is so stupid. Don't call nobody, Rabbi. He's exaggerating. If this is the way you're going to act from the verses up the top, don't call nobody that. Don't call nobody father, because that's the way you're going to act. Don't call nobody that. That's what he said, because until you want to act like you're teaching, in other words, you can call him Rabbi. Father's nothing but a term of endearment. So you can call them a father, you can call them a rabbi, if they're doing what they say. But you say that, don't, don't get it twisted, that what they're teaching is truth. What they're living is a lie. So do what they say, but don't do like they do. When I was in uh, seminary, my first year in seminary, i never forget, I don't remember who this, off this poem was, but one of my seminary teachers said this to me. He gave me this little poem, and the poem was real short. It said, I would rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather that you show me than to tell me what you're saying. And, and I said, wow, that thing impacted me from the first year in seminary. Don't, and he told us to say, don't get caught up in all the fancy words you use. All things going on, just live the life. Get some things involved with that. Well, I hope you heard a, a 
Uh, well, I, I can't do this without going here. There's several, go, go to John 10 and 10. B because Jesus uh, Jesus does this, and then I'll and I'll, then I'll give you the lessons. John 10 and 10, Jesus is summing up his idea of shepherding because he does two metaphors in terms of what he calls himself when he talks about how leaders should be. He uses the metaphor of shepherds because they care for sheep. Now, the shepherd who cares for his sheep gets smelly like the sheep. So people outside of the realms of the shepherd don't like shepherds because they smell it, because they smell like sheep. Shepherds don't have a position of honor. They have a position of compassion. He says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, he said the thief comes. What he's talking about? Well, I know I picked it up in the middle, but he he, he told you. He, well, let me let me start at verse seven. Well, God, he told me a parable because they didn't even understand what he was saying. Uh, what when he brought his own sheep, he going there follow a stranger. Verse six. Look at verse six. Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, a parable is a lesson. It is a lesson, it's an object truth. It is how it is called midrash in rabbinical teaching. Use parables to make a point. Some of us get off because we're so analytical in our Western thought. We want to know all the details of the parable. We want to know, was it a real story? Who is he talking about? We want to know the names. All None of that matters if you don't get the lesson. See, you, you, the, the parable is only to teach you the truth. The details don't matter. You ever told an story, object story to somebody and, and, and they go, well, where would you get that from? Did you get the point? But, but, who told you that? What does that matter? Did you get the point of the object I'm trying to share with you? They off on another bunny trail. That's what people get when they look at the scripture sometimes. They get off on a bunny trail. So, so he, he said they didn't, even, they didn't even get it. So Jesus, Jesus goes on now. He told the parable, they didn't understand what he's saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, I tell you the solemn truth. I am the door for the sheep. I'm the way to get, you can't even get by to get to these sheep. Because I'm the door. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, verse 9. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Uh-oh. Okay, so let's get what the thief steals, what the thief kills, and what the thief destroys. Right? Okay, three things. You better write these down. The thief comes to steal your joy. He comes to kill your faith. He comes to destroy your love. So let me say this again. All right, get it with me. The thief comes to steal your what? Aha, you got it. That's why the joy of the Lord 
is my strength. Thief comes to steal that joy because you ain't joyful. You know, you you get because you know God inhabits the praises of his people. He wants you in every circumstances to give thanks. The thief can make you miserable, upset, grumbly all the time. You can't get God to come in while you got an attitude. I don't care what the circumstances are, rejoice. But you're crazy. I got coronavirus. I got family who have died. Rejoice. Because the thief comes to steal your joy. He comes to destroy your faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. The thief wants to destroy that. He wants you to stop believing in God. Stop trusting God. That God is not your friend. God is not even your father. God don't love you. He wants to kill your faith, get you down the strength so you won't even want to come to worship because your faith is being killed. You know what? Some things I just don't believe in no more, Archbishop. Well, how'd you get there? I, just, I don't know. I, well, I, you know, I, I just don't see it like that no more. It, it gets to the point that I just feel like, stop right there. Ain't nobody asked you to feel. It's them feelings that's got you messed up. Now, you done got emotional instead of getting convicted. You know, I always tell y'all, remember now, preachers proclaim, but teachers explain. So give me a chance to explain. I'm a teacher. So I, I, I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. Okay, y'all want a preacher? Y'all call a preacher. He can give him a hoop. I, and I don't do. I enjoy preaching, but I like to teach. I like to do a little explaining. Is that okay? So, so kill, kill, kill your faith. Some of you are getting your faith killed with philosophies and vain things and people telling you what they think, and you going around repeating what they think. Where did they get that from? No, by faith I understand the world's afraid. I don't give a whoever said, well, you know, we'd rather believe some elaborate story about something else than believing that God just said. When you believe, when you have faith in God, you don't need no explanations. Paul says, I know in whom I believe, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me. And so you got to learn how to, how to be kept by the power of God and let everybody bring voices and things all in your head and mess you up. And the last thing the devil wants to do, the thief wants to do is destroy your love. If he can destroy your love, could you remember, according to 1 John 4 and 7 and 8, God is love. So if he gets you not loving anything, you won't love God. You won't have God because he has killed, steal, and destroyed. But so Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life. Zoe, I've come to give you the joy of life. So you won't be miserable about life any longer. Because first of all, your joy is going to be set. You don't have to worry about somebody stealing it because I'm going to make sure your joy is, is secure. You have to worry about nobody stealing your faith. Because if you trust in me, you shall in no wise be cast out. You everybody destroying your love because I love you and nobody's going to pluck you out of the Father's hand. All right, my conclusion.
Let's get some, yeah, yeah, my conclusion. Let's get some lessons. Got to learn some lessons. <laughs> I, got, I got eight minutes back here, 18 minutes back here on the clock. I see it, but I'm, I'm getting to my point. But let me give you some preliminaries before I give you the lessons, okay? Because I got, I got four lessons, four lessons from the text tonight. Because, you, you know, when I teach, you got to have some lessons and get it together, okay? Is that okay? So number one, I want you to understand this. This is just, just, this is just a primer. Let me give you a couple of primers. Number one, don't forget who birthed you. Uh huh. Don't forget who birthed you. See, that has to do with loyalty. Don't forget when we were birthed at. And we go and give somebody else all the abilities and things we learn instead of staying with who birthed you. Here's an expectation of a father. Take this from a father. The expectation of fathers is that sons and daughters will continue their legacy. Every father wants somebody to continue their legacy. So important. And here's the most important thing you have to understand. Fathers are meant to forecast the expected, not the exact circumstances, but the conditions. We are forecasters. Doesn't mean we know the future. Bishop Luther told you yesterday that time was circular and not linear. So what goes around is going to come around. So we can almost see that things that happened 40 years ago are getting ready to happen again. And we're trying to forecast to you, there's some things maybe you need to watch out for this time. So you don't have the same problems we had 40 years ago if you listen to the voice of the Father. Because we are telling you what we see coming, it was the same thing that was coming when I wasn't prepared for it. But I see it getting ready to happen again, and I'm trying to get you prepared for what's going to happen again, because what comes around, and you ain't listening because you think you know better, but you're diaper-wearing self. And number four, hearing is an art. Listening is wisdom, and practice is conditional. I know, I'm going to say it again, because I want you to get it. I want you to get it. Hearing is an art. He that has ear to hear, let him. In the Hebrew, the word for hearing is the word shema. Now, which means hear. Now, shema doesn't mean just hear. It means do. That's right. Somebody said over you. You said it, didn't you? Who said that? Yeah, do, do. Yeah, there you go. It means to do what you hear. Right. If you ain't doing what you heard, you really didn't hear. Right. That's the idea in Hebrew. Shema means if you're not doing it, that means you really didn't hear it. Doesn't it frustrate you, Archbishop? Well, you done preach over again, folks doing the opposite of what you've been telling. Like, did, did I just teach that? Hearing is an art. Study to, to hear. 
Listening is wisdom because you're applying what you heard. And practice is conditional. Because apparently, either you heard it correctly because you're doing right, or you heard wrong because you're doing wrong. Okay, I got 14 minutes. I'm gonna give you four lessons in 14 minutes, okay? Lesson number one, lesson number one. Not every sperm donor is a father. Lesson number one. Not every sperm donor is a father. Okay, I'm getting there. I'm going to answer some questions from yesterday. Is that okay? I didn't want to deal with yesterday because I knew I was going to deal with today. So if you weren't, you weren't, you wasn't there yesterday, you better get this message today. Every sperm donor is not a father. I ain't got no father. I ain't got no father. You have a father somewhere because you wouldn't be here. Your mother didn't have you by herself. Might not know who he is, where he's at, but he donated some sperm somewhere at some point, at some time. God had already determined what you were going to get and that you were going to be a recipient of somebody's sperm and egg. Okay, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. What does that mean? I'm getting there. Okay. Fathers are meant, number two, second lesson. Fathers are meant to have lasting impressions. They're meant to have lasting impressions on their children, whether positive or negative. They're meant to have lasting impressions. Now, so did you think I'm not forgetting about mothers. Let me say that the mother's role is to nurture. The father's role is to impress. There's nothing wrong with nurturing, but you nurture children. You don't nurture men. Is it okay? Okay, we can get to it now. Now, 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 he ain't hit my house yet. All right, lesson number three. Fatherless children are a testimony of survivorship. Fatherless children are a testimony of survivorship. No fathers, bad fathers, many fathers. Let's be realistic. Your man that came in the house was your father, as far as you knew. Call this one daddy. Call that one daddy. I know you had a rough time, looks like, and you are you want to you want to wallow in your misery. No, no, I already told you in the beginning that God already knew what was going to happen to you. And that, and that it was all predetermined. Things were already determined because what happens now is that you have a testimony of survivorship that in spite of what you've been through and the things that were going on, you're still a child of God. And the testimony is, see, some of the, the Bible said, he who is forgiven much loves much. Some of the things you had to been through, you had to be through in survivorship. But let me tell you, we had in Maryland, we had a lady in Maryland years ago. 
I had the opportunity to meet her in a, in a meeting was years ago. She lost her eight-year-old daughter to a drunk driver. Drunk driver. She was upset. She was messed up. But she decided to do something about it. She formed an organization that became a national organization. The organization was called MAD. MAD. The initials were Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Who knows? That tragedy caused her to bless thousands of kids who would have been killed by drunk drivers had it not been for her agency. But the sacrifice was she lost her kid in order to produce this agency that saved thousands of other kids. Sometimes you don't know why you've been through what you've been through, but God set you up to be a blessing for somebody. You might have been through some mess that have messed you up, but in spite of that, God created you to be a blessing, even if you didn't have a blessing. Let that sink in. Mm. Maybe I need to say that one again. Father's children are a testimony of survivorship. My father ain't here. I right, stop worrying about it. Now you got a heavenly father. May not have had a good earthly father. May not even have a, had a good life. But well, I didn't get a good education. I didn't let that stop me. I only finished the ninth grade in school. But how you do that? You, you got degrees because I was determined to get stuff in spite of not doing it traditional way. I went on and, and got degrees. But not because people allowed me. I forced my way into an example. It's okay. I know we got children. Sometimes we got to deal with children. That's okay. Jesus said, suffer the little children coming to me. Bid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven. So I, th I think we, we rebuke too much. Well, while making that point, thank you, because you helped me make a point that I wanted to make. While making that point, we spend too much time rebuking instead of convicting. Conviction causes you to change. Rebuking shames you to fear. And we spend our whole church life rebuking instead of condemning. What we need to do, I didn't mean to say condemning, I mean convicting. Convicting, convicting, convicting. Because we need to convict people, not condemn them. Why are you talking about sin so much? Since we are all born sinners. All of us all have sin. Romans 3.21. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in case you want to know the end of verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. You got a paycheck coming. But the gift of God is eternal life. So I just ask people, do you want a paycheck or do you want a gift? 